Well, we've been talking over the last few weeks uh, out of uh, a series that I was going to start, and we're really doing it, but going in a different direction, called That Day. And it's based out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 11, 21 through 22, where Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he is announcing to his disciples basically what are the foundational principles, operating manual for the kingdom of God. So if you really want to know what God expects his kingdom to be like, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he ends with this section. And he talks about, he said, in that day, he said, many of you will... Uh, no, he said, why do you call me? He's just told them what to do. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do the will of my Father. In that day. So there's coming a day when we will give an account for whether we're doing what he's telling us to do today. Whether he's doing what he told us to do last week. Whether he's doing what we're talking about for Wednesday night. There's going to come a day where we stand before him and give an account. There's coming a day when I will stand before him and give an account for whether I led this church where sometimes it fears even angels fear to tread. I will give an account for whether I did that. You will give an account for whether you listened and followed. And I'm not trying to threaten, I'm just telling tell you ahead of time, there's a day coming, but we have a chance in this day to make those changes and adjustments. So in that day, we will not be ashamed. The Bible talks about that in, in 1 John. He says... Many of you will say to me, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do wonderful works in your name? We cast out demons, we, we prophesied, we did all these outward things in your name, and I will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. So he's talking about a relationship with him that's more than just words out of our mouth. Well, the Lord said this, and the Lord said that, praise the Lord, and all these things. It's not what we say, it's what we do with our heart. Where is our heart committed? Because he's going to saying, if you're calling me Lord, Lord, then my words ought to have some authority in your life, if I really am Lord. Because then he ends by saying what the real issue is, you who practice lawlessness. We're not talking about being perfect. We're not talking about not slipping or having a bad day. It's where's the commitment of your heart? If the commitment of our heart is there, then we're open for Him to challenge us and to teach us with His Word. And that's really what we're in the middle of doing right now. So we talked about this, and then we went to John chapter... uh, We went to the end of His earthly ministry, and we went over to John chapter 15, and we saw the final things that He was saying to His disciples about His relationship with us. And He uses this example of the vine and a branch. And again, a vine that He's talking about is not something that grows up the side of your house. It's something that's thick, like a, like a, a, a trunk of a tree. And he said, I am the vine and you're the branch. My father is the, is the vine dresser. He's the husbandman. He's the one that plants it. He's the one that takes care of it. He's the one that prunes it. And he talks about, therefore, I just I, apart from me as a branch, you can't bear any fruit. You can't do anything. You can produce wonderful works, but it won't be the fruit of my father unless you're abiding or vitally connected with me. Unless his life, like the sap of that tree, flows up through me, Jesus says, and out through you, that will bear the fruit of which others will be refreshed in. They will draw their life and strength from that fruit. But only if it is the, if it is the love of the Father coming up through me and out through you. And then he makes clear he's talking about that love. And this is what we're going to pick up again. This is in John 15 now, verse 9. As the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. 
Abide in my love. So what he's saying is, as the Father's life force has come up into me, so I have given that life force to you. And that's what the, produces the fruit. If you... Uh, um, yeah, the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So he's explaining what that life force, what that sap is that's in the vine in the kingdom of God is the love of God flowing up into Jesus and then out through Him to the branches that belong to Him. And that love is what produces the fruit. As the fathers loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So now he's telling you that this love is not just some ooey-gooey thing that we have for one another. Oh, I love God. God loves me. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And I love you, brother. So good to see you. That's great. But that's surface. He says, no. If you keep my commandments, you automatically will abide in my love. We talked about he's not putting down some rule and saying, if you don't keep my commandments, I don't love you. That's not what he's saying. He said, you cannot abide in my love without keeping my commandments because my commandments are all about abiding in his love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So I've been your example, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may remain, my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. So if you want to have a life full of joy, here's his answer. And there's no other way. There's no shortcut. Verse 12. And now he's going to make it clear just so there's no, no confusion over this is my commandment. It's simple. Love one another. Love one another. Now look to your right. Go ahead, look to your right. You can do that at home, wherever you are. And now look to your left. You've just looked at one another. <laughs> and there's room is full of one another's. The one another's are the people of God, the church. This is my commandment that you love one, and we're going to learn later on it goes beyond the church. But right now, we're talking about the church. And now he gives us the standard. But pastor, I do love my brothers. I do love my sisters. I do love my brothers and sisters of color. I do love my brothers and sisters who don't have color. <laughs> I love my brother. I love him. Okay, now he's going to tell us the love he's talking about. Because you see, the love of God is not the same kind of love that the world talks about love and that we have been indoctrinated with in most of our growing up and our process. Love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus is showing them this is the commandment. And this is verse 13. This is what we're talking about. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. He's going to go on and talk about how he's going to do that for them. So Jesus' love, the love he has for us, is his proven by how much he loved us that he was willing to lay his life down because that's what we needed him to do for us. So this love he's commanding us to walk in, this love that is the heart and the nature of God the Father, this love that flowed through God the Son to his disciples and to us, this love he's commanding us to love one another with is a self-denying, sacrificial love. Listen to him. Not for the sake of sacrifice and denial, but for what's best for your brother and sister. If it's just self-denial, then there's a martyrdom in that. There's a pride that goes in that. But when I lay my life down because that's what you need me to do, then that's not martyrdom, that's love, the love that God has had for us. 
So we began to talk about, okay, what does it mean to lay my life down for you? What does it mean to lay my life down? And we talk, we've already talked about five things. It could mean physically laying your life down. It could mean that you come to a place where you've got to lay your life down for somebody else. That's not likely to happen, but it could. We talked, secondly, it's giving these worlds goods. If I have them and my brothers needs them and they don't have what, and I have what it is, John says, how can you say the love of God's in your heart when you withhold it? That's a challenging thing for me. For some of you, it's the easiest thing in the world. For me, these, some of these are very challenging. Some of me, these are easier and some of these are very challenging for me, just like with you. We're all in that process of growing. Then the third thing we, we, we looked at, it was just compassion, just caring for one another. And really, the rest of these come out of that one. Then we talked about bearing one another's burdens. Really, what we're going to talk about today is the same thing. If I really love you, I'm not going to just say, you know, well, I'm, I'm sorry, brother, you're going through a tough time. That's, that's, I'll pray for you. And probably won't, because I'll forget about it. No. We're to come behind one another and help one another with those burdens. And that's really what this Wednesday night is about. That's what it's the beginning to be about. It's not the end of it. It's the beginning of something, I believe. And then we look last week at something that is easier for me. It may be hard for you, but giving your goods away may be easier for you. It's forgiveness. We really got personal with that, down into our hearts. Because when I forgive you a claim I have against you because you've done something to me, I'm literally taking your, the pain of your guilt upon me so that I can set you free from that guilt. Why would I do that? I mean, you deserve to go through what you're going through because you did something to me. But you see, that's the world's concept of thinking. That's the world's way of thinking. But this is why the Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transformed there literally means to take the inner nature, who you really are, and begin to work it to the outside. And so as we begin to learn to think the way God thinks, the way this word says we're to think, then, then that allows the Spirit of God to take who you really are on the inside and bring that to the outside. And there's probably no clear way of that happening by what we're talking about right now, forgiveness to forgive you, to let you go of that claim because I want to see you free of the penalty of that guilt. And I'm willing to bear it for you, but you find out if you do that, you'll be free of it. In fact, if you don't forgive it, you're not free of it. You're still carrying it around. And we talked about that last week. Today we're going to talk about another application of what it means to lay my life down from you. And in years before I've taught this in different contexts, and in and and never had really not had an example that we can sink our teeth into. That's probably not the best example to use. But um, we're going to talk today about one of the ways to lay my life down for you is to limit my freedom by what's best for you. The world thinking, and this is what we're renewing our minds away from, the world's thinking is that life is all about getting what are my rights. This nation was founded by 13 colonies asserting their rights against the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And I'm not saying they were wrong, but this nation is rooted and grounded in asserting my rights, getting my freedom and my rights. And that's the way the world thinks. But we're not in the world, we're in the kingdom of God. Just think about what if God 
just wanted to assert his rights of what God's entitled to. He owns everything. So he's entitled to take everything away from you. Your life, your breath, your food, everything away from you because he owns it all. But God doesn't assert his rights. There's a scripture in, in Ephesians, I think it's in chapter 3, where it talks about, it's a little phrase in a, in, a, in a verse, but it's so important because it talks about that in the ages to come, God is going to show the exceeding power of His grace and love. See, what's going to happen, there's going to be some, I don't know how it's going to happen, some great show that God is going to show to the principalities and powers that are in the, in the heavenly air, He's going to show what He wants them to see about Himself. And it's not how powerful He is. It's not how strong He is. He's very secure. He doesn't need to prove to anybody how strong He is or how powerful He is. But it says He's going to prove to the principalities, and I believe that Satan's one of them, He's going to prove what the power of His love is using you and me as examples. We're trophies of His love. <clears throat> how God, by sacrificing Himself, could change and redeem such people as you and me such selfish, self-centered, small-minded people as you and me to display God's sacrificial love for us and show what he's, His love is able to do. And that's what this is about. But the world doesn't think that way. But the problem is that thinking has gotten into the church. So we're living in a generation when the church has taught and, 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 and emphasized what our rights are in Christ. All the benefits we have of being in Christ, and now we've turned them into our rights in Christ. And so the, the focus of the modern church today, especially in America, is focused on my rights, my privileges, what I get to do, and that is self-centered thinking. And that's the world's thought process but it's invaded and it's saturating the church. And that is exactly the message Satan brought into the garden to cause the fall. And it's exactly the message he would love to inject and has injected in his church because it perverts the church. And everything that comes out of the church that's self-centered is, is profane. Everything that comes out of the church that's self-centered <clears throat> does not have the heart and the character and the nature of God. <clears throat> it shows up very early because when in Peter, I've got to be careful because I'm going to get sidetracked too much. When, when Peter uh, gets this revelation, Jesus said, well, who do, you, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not show you that, but my Father's in heaven. Wow, what a pat on the back. And then Jesus announced he's got to go to Jerusalem to die for their sins, and Peter tries to stop him. That was Satan's first attempt to get into the church with what's, how's this going to affect me. This is totally the opposite of what Christ taught us and what Christ has done. John chapter 12, and there, it's in every one of the Gospels. Jesus says, He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. Otherwise, elsewhere, he puts it a little differently. He says, If you try to hold on to your life, if you live your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to give your life up for me and for my purposes, then you will gain it unto eternal life. <clears throat> 
So Jesus did not operate that way. The kingdom of God does not operate on the basis of what's best for me. The kingdom of God operates on the best basis. I will sacrifice what I have for what's best for you. And that's so contrary to the thinking that we've been raised in. But unfortunately, it's so contrary to the thinking that's in the church today. But it's not contrary to the thinking of God our Father and of our Lord. So how do we apply that today? How do we, how do we bring that over today? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <laughs> I got so excited because when during praise and worship, I felt the Lord show me this is exactly what we're talking about today. Let's read down for the first um, 13 verses quickly and then I'll explain to you what this means. Paul is writing to a church that thought because of what was going in their services, by what things looked like in their services, Paul, they thought they were the most spiritual church on the earth. They were so spiritual that they were not going to let the Apostle Paul in the church, even though he founded the church, because they thought they were more spiritual than he was. And they were basing it on what things looked like in the service. Paul writes these words. Now concerning things offered to idol, concerning things offered to idol, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet as he ought to know. If anyone loves God, that this one is known by him. Let's go back to verse 1. The issue here was this. We don't have that issue today. This was the pagan church before Paul founded it. They worshipped in the temple, and one of the major ways of worshipping is they would bring live animals in, and they would slit their throats, and they would, they, would, they would offer the animals as a sacrifice to their gods. And in some cases, they would drink the blood, and then when they were done, what do you do with the meat? Well, they'd often sell it into the marketplace, or they may have a feast there. And so the question for these Corinthians that used to be pagans as part of this temple was when we're now saved and I come over to your house and you're grilling some steaks, do I need to know whether this steak came from a, a steer that was sacrificed in the temple Sunday morning? Because if it is, it's profaned. If it is, it was sacrificed to demons. So this controversy began to develop. So that's the issue Paul's addressing here. We have different issues today, which we'll talk about in a minute. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Look at this. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes me feel bigger than I really am. And so the Corinthians were all puffed up because they knew certain things. Of course, they got them from Paul, but they knew certain things. So knowledge alone, this is God speaking, knowledge alone puffs up, makes us feel bigger than we really are. It's like a popover. You know what a popover is? Popover is, the first time I had one, I was shocked. I thought I had this big muffin until I cut into it. And it was nothing but air. It was puffed up. And so many Christians are popovers. They're puffed up. So many churches are popovers. They're puffed up because they're getting bigger and growing. They're puffed up because they look a certain way. They're puffed up, but it's knowledge that does this alone. But love edifies. It builds up, puts substance in the popover. Verse 2. 
If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he is known. So when you, we think we're so smart because of what we know, and, and especially with social media and things that are out there, wow, I got this cause, I got this thing, boy, look what I know, then if you really think you know something, be careful because you don't know yet as you ought to know. Verse 3. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So now Paul is, is tying what we're going to talk about together with our love for God. Because he's basically going to say, you can't love God and not really love your brother. Verse 4. Therefore, concerning things, the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is no other God but one. So he's talking about what he does know. He says, we understand now that, that, and he's going to simplify this, we understand now that if I sit down at your table and you've got a nice medium rare steak sitting there, I don't want to lose some of you here, um, I don't need to find out where that came from because what he's going to go on to say is because when we, when we thank God for this food, we're recognizing, although it may have come from the temple, this has been provided to us by God, and because it's been provided to us by God, and I'm recognizing that and thanking God for it, that now sanctifies or make this okay. That's the purpose behind saying grace. It's not to feel good as a Christian. It's to recognize that every food you get comes from God, and that He is the source of your food. So that we know that an idol is nothing in the world. This is, this is what I know. I know that I'm mature enough to understand it doesn't matter where the meat came from. What matters is what's my heart towards that? Because there's no other God but one. Verse 5. If for even if there are so other gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there are many gods and many lords, that's in people's thinking, verse 6. Yet for us there's only one God and Father of whom are all things, and we are for Him, our Lord Jesus Christ, and through Him we are all things, and through Him we live. Verse 7. However, not everyone has this knowledge. For some with the consciousness of the idol until now eat it as if it is offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So what Paul's talking about here is that although I understand that that meat doesn't matter whether it, where it came from because God's provider for me and by recognizing it's come from God that's sanctified you may not understand this it may bother you that you think because that may have come from a sacrificed animal then that's going to bother you and your conscience being weak not understanding this is defiled because I'm encouraging you to violate your conscience let's go on but food does not commend us to God, neither if we eat or are we the better if we don't eat or are we worse. In other words, what you eat, and he's not talking about diet here and health, he's talking about spiritual things. It doesn't matter because that's not what's important to God. Verse 9. But beware lest some of how this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now let's stop here a second. There's more here, but let's bring this down to, you know, we don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, at least I don't hope you don't, Okay. Um, if you do, make sure you bless it. But we have other... We could go back and read this through and talk about wearing masks. Some have knowledge and believe that they're walking in faith to a level that I don't need to wear masks and I don't need to practice social distancing. I'm not going to step on some toes. 
but we'll heal them. And I have that knowledge and I have that faith and I have that liberty because this is where I've grown to in faith. But not everybody here may be in that place. Not everybody here may believe what you believed. Let's go on. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Verse 10. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not his conscience of him be weak, be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? If you ever dieted, you know what he's talking about. You're on a diet. You've determined, I'm going to not have any desserts for a week and to turn the TV on. Or you go to your neighbor's house or your friend's house or net relative's house and what do they do? They have a nice dessert just sitting there waiting for you. And it's tempting you to violate the, the vow, the, the decision you just made. They're eating it in front of you and it, it, it draw, it's, it's tempting you to do what they're doing because we, we're, 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 we influence and affect one another. God made us that way. Verse 11. Because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. He's making this a very serious issue. Verse 12. But when, when you thus sin against your brother... So Paul is saying, when I exercise my freedom based on the knowledge I have, and by doing that I'm encouraging you to violate your conscience, which may be weaker than mine. It may not be as, as, as knowledgeable as mine. I'm causing you to sin by my exercising my freedom. Sin against Christ, verse 13. Verse 13 goes on to say, goes on to just, well, I'll read verse 13 to you. I didn't tell him verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. So the first three verses is talking about contrasting what we know against how much we love. How much of our time, we'll talk about this again, how much of our time is spent talking about, thinking about, posting, writing about things we've read and things we know? And how much of our time is speaking, posting, acting on love for our brothers? Which do we do the most? I've had a recent example of this, and I'm, not, I'm afraid to tell you this, but I, I think I have to. Because <laughs> I'm committing something when I do. I've always struggled with shortening my messages. I've had people, my son especially, tell me, you need to shorten your message down. I heard some amens out there. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> and I was speaking with somebody I had talked to to kind of help us with some things, and he said, oh my goodness, you're still preaching for an hour? I said, yeah, I could go longer. And I've had some people say, go longer, but that's not the majority of you. Uh, and I, I said, and I began to pray about this. I said, but the problem is the more I teach, the more I see. And I began to pray about this, and the Lord showed me this very thing. He says, you're doing that for your sake, because you enjoy it, and the more you preach, the more you see, and it makes you feel good the more you see. But you're not looking at it from the point of view of the people that have to sit there through that and listen to it. And then he took me back to services I've been in other places where I started going... So I've had to adjust, and I'm still working at it. I've had to adjust my messages based on what's best for you, not best on what I know. And this is a challenge for me. 
especially telling you that. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. Notice how important our conscience is to God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not... Same issue. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. See, that's the standard. Is this building you up? We talked several weeks ago about Ephesians 4.29. talks about our conversation, the things we say. He basically said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only such as is necessary for building up or edification. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being. Verse 25. Eat whatever's sold in a meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. Verse 26. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Verse 27. For if any, if any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever's set before you, ask no questions for conscience' sake. But, verse 28, if anyone says to you, well, but this was offered to idols, don't eat it for the sake of one who told you, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord in its fullness. Verse 29. Conscience, you say, ah, not your own, but that of the other. And here's the question. Why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? This is what the world says. Why, why, should, I, why should I limit my freedom by your conscience? Because that's how the world thinks. And Paul's asking this question. Why is my freedom, my liberty, limited by what you believe? Why do I have to wear masks? Because all the rest of you people don't believe, don't have the faith that I have. How come? I've got faith that I won't get COVID-19. I've got faith I won't get sick. I've got faith. I live in Psalm 91. I've got faith. Yeah, great. Great. But what about everybody else that doesn't? Oh, but we're supposed to walk in faith. But look what Jesus did. We're gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 29. Let me go on here. Verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you wear your mask or you don't wear your mask. Is you're wearing your mask out of love for somebody? Or is you're not wearing your mask for the glory of God and for the love of somebody? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 32. Give no offense, in this case to the Jews or the Greeks, give no offense to the mask wearers or those that don't wear a mask or to the church of God. Now, we could use other issues, but this is a very current issue right now. Verse 33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own benefit or profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Let's bring this down to a close. John chapter 13. Now before the... This is back now, we're back when he's beginning his last conversation with his disciples. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come 
that he should depart from this world, having to go from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now that word is that's a very powerful word. He loved them to the limit. He held nothing back. It's not just the end of time. He loved them with everything in him. And he's about to demonstrate that love by dying for them. Verse 2. So he's talking, talking about the love he has for them. Supper being ended, the devil already had put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he come from the Father, was going to God. This is what he knew. This was his knowledge. He had this knowledge rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now, in order to understand this, and I've talked about this before, you have to understand this basic idea, that in, in a house of anybody with any kind of wealth in that time, they had servants. And because the, the people wore sandals, they didn't wear sketchers and you know, leather shoes and things like that, they wore sandals which were open. And because the roads were, many of them were not paved, some were paved, animals passed through there, their feet would get dusty and dirty. So when you came to somebody's house for dinner for, as a guest, there was the, the, a, a slave who was assigned the job of washing your feet. And it was assigned to the lowest, most menial slave in your household. And it was such a common thing that while you were coming in and being greeted, you'd just pick your feet up because they were taking your sandals off while you were just talking to somebody. You may not even have noticed. And then they had a basin there. They'd wash your feet and either wash them or put something. I don't know what else they'd do, but they'd wash your feet. This is a rented room. There's no slave there. It's a rented room. But the, but the, but the owner of the place understood this enough that there's a basin of water and a towel. All right, go back to the Scripture. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments. This is outer garments. He took the towel and girded it himself. And after that, he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. He's doing the role of what would be the most menial servant in a master's house. The lowest one, the most humbling one. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter and he said, Lord, you're washing my feet. Now, in order to understand the real power of this, the Greek language puts a different emphasis on it. It's saying, you, my feet are washing? In other words, Peter's saying, no, 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 no. I should be washing your feet instead of you washing my feet. And we'll notice that Jesus says, wow, Peter, you're right. Verse 7. Jesus said, look at this. No, 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 no. He said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now. In other words, I'm teaching you something you don't understand right now. It's like so many of us right now. Peter's whole thought is, what am I going to do for you? You should be worshipped. And he should be. Over in uh, John, uh, Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a woman who came. And while he's eating with the Pharisees, she anoints his feet with oil and she washes his feet with the tears and dries it with her hair. And, she, and the disciples say, you, you, you should rebuke her. And he said, no, no, no. She's doing this for my burial. No, this is appropriate. So he's not saying we shouldn't worship him. He's not saying his feet shouldn't have been washed. What he's saying is, I'm teaching you something. What I'm doing now, you don't understand. And that's where most of us are. But you will understand after this what I'm about to do. Verse 8. Peter said, then you shall never wash my feet. I'm time to go into this. Imagine this, telling the Lord, you can't do this to me. That's the, that's the spiritual pride that Peter had. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9. Simon Peter said, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
We're going to have to go down for time's sake. Let's go down to verse... Um, let's go down to verse the 12, verse 12. So when he'd washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you, do you know what I've done to you? Do you understand what I've done? He just said you don't understand. Now he's going to explain it. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Stop there a second. So many churches have done this as a ceremony, and we did it here a number of years ago. A foot washing ceremony. But that doesn't do any good to wash somebody's feet and then not do the things he's talking about. He's not talking about washing somebody's feet. That can be a very humbling thing to do. But the real message here is serving one another. He's saying, look, I have every right to demand you worship me. I have every right to assert my knowledge, my superior knowledge, and my understanding and my rights here. I have every right, to, but I didn't come to do that. I came bearing the love of God for you that goes up through me as a trunk. I came bearing that, and now as you abide in me, I'm trying to teach you to allow this love, this sacrificial love, this serving love to flow through you so it will go out into your families and your communities and give the fruit of this kind of love, the fruit of this sacrificial love that can only come from someone such as God the Father. This is why he says elsewhere in this section, he says, he says and they're going to know that I, you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Not the love you have for God, the love you have for one another because it's contrary to the relationships out there in the world. As this church begins to exhibit that kind of love for one another, not what we've had more than that, that kind of love for one another, then that's when they're going to know he's our, we're disciples of his. Not because it's on our church name, not because it's a bumper sticker we have on our car. It's this kind of love for one another where I prefer my brethren. I sacrifice what my rights are, but I'm more concerned with what you are. You're growing. I'm more concerned with where you are than my rights or my privileges or even how things affect me or what they cost me. For I've given you, verse 15, an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. Peter did not understand. He would come to understand. He did not understand what Jesus was all about. He saw the miracles. He saw, but Peter was still so much Peter. And Jesus was de- demonstrating to them. Now remember, we talked last week. It's very easy to hear these things that we're going over and say, oh, those are things I need to do. But what we saw last week is, no, these are the fruit of who we are in Christ. That when we realize that He's the vine and we're the branch, we've been joined, we are one with Him. His life is in you and your life is in His. 
that this is not doing good deeds. This is not doing things we should do. This is living out the relationship and the fruit that comes from our union, our relationship with Him. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Department, I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. Your actions were not flowing out of a relationship with me that was close where my love and my character began to f- transform who you are. So when the church hears us, these are the things we need to do. We take notes and make a I need to be better at this. I need to be better at this. I need to be better at this. No, 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 no. That's still seeing yourself separate from Christ. You don't have the power to do it. And we're all proving that regularly. It's focusing on my union with Christ. I am in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. That is his life in you. Not your love for people. His love for people in you. But until we renew our minds, we don't give Him the opportunity to love through us. So whenever I go into a meeting or I've got some conversation with somebody, you know, the old John's still there, but I have to remind myself, I'm not doing this in my strength. I'm not coming to speak to you in my strength today. I'm looking at Wednesday night saying, I'm not, I can't do that in my strength. I've got to trust that the that the love of Christ, that Christ living in me is going to come out of me and communicate His love by listening by whatever that may be. And every day in our homes, in our family, every day at work, we have the opportunity. But it starts by understanding who you are in Christ. And we focused on the rights we have because we're in Christ. And we've not looked at what does it mean that if I'm in Christ, I'm not separate from Him. So I don't have a right to my separate opinion. I don't have a right to my separate opinion of you or my separate opinion of these issues. I don't have that right if I'm a Christian because I'm in Christ. I have to have His opinion. I have to have His view. I have to have His heart because if if I'm living my life as if I have my own rights to be it, I'm still a Christian, I'm living separate from Christ. This is causing us to learn to think differently and that's what Paul means by renewing our mind. We're transformed into the image of Christ. And in the moment we have left, we're going to close with this. I want you to just take a moment and be, and be still. Close your eyes. I'm not going to have you do anything. I'm going to have to, I want you to think about something. I want you to just let this thought just kind of roll around in your mind. We, and we have, it's late, so we can't take too long to do this. Just think about your lives. What are the issues that are in your life right now that you feel so strongly about? If you're using social media, what are the things that you're posting about? What are the things that the articles you're looking at? What are the things you're talking most to people about? What are the things that really irk you or burn in you? What are the things that really are strong in you? And when you identify those, ask yourself the question, is the root of this more about what I want and what I think? Or is the root of this a love in me for what's best for, for others, for other people. And just take a moment. I've only got a moment. Father, as we think of these things, we're asking the Holy Spirit now to take the things that we've heard, the words that are your words, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, to do, and to will your good pleasure. And as we go forth into this day and this week, may the Holy Spirit bring back to our remembrance things He's spoken to us today, things He's allowed us to hear and show us how to apply them in our lives. 
In Jesus' name, amen. As we close this service, I want to ask one last question. If you're here today or you're online and you've never received Christ as your Savior, never put your life into His hands to be Lord, you need to do that today because we're talking about where you're going to spend eternity. It's not where you go to church. It's not even how good you are. It's the relationship you have with Christ. Jesus said, unless you know...